Welcome along. Slight tangent coming at you. These are exciting times because Michael, as ever, is to my left. Hello. Not that exciting. Hello, Callahan. Hello to you. Hello, fellow tangenteers. And back by demand is Ronan Mullen. Exciting. Inundated with text, Joe. I've literally, the phone's been buzzing, and I just had to I had to say yes. You made that joke off air. I didn't think you were going to do it again. I didn't think you were going to call me out. So here we are. <laughs> I laughed twice. Uh, Arthur's on holidays. He's in. Can you say? I think so. Yeah. Well, you can now. Naples. He won't hear it. He's in Naples. He's a bandwagoner. Oof. Just because they're running away with the league, he thought. Not even watching football. Let's get on board. He's wow. just enjoying Naples. He likes other things too. Apparently, beautiful city, Naples. Yeah, I don't know. I'm only interested in sport myself. I am, I'm basing that on Liam Brady's documentary. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've never been. I've never been. I was sure you're ready to give us first-hand experience there. And no. Say, I've been to Naples, beautiful no. place. Preferred been to Rome. Rome. That's about the height of it. So a slight tangent at offtheball.com. If you're just tuning in for the first time, this is where the OTB team picked through stories which caught our eye across the week. And there are, of course, emails to get through, which we tend to do at the start. Hello, Joe and co. <laughs> long time OTB listener and over that time I couldn't help but notice that OTB hosts and panellists have a tendency to use certain turns of phrase repeatedly I'm curious to know and to hear you all discuss whether these turns of phrase have been intentionally adopted through tried and tested experience to help steer on air conversations or whether you've been completely oblivious to them unwittingly they've weaved their way into your vernacular over time and then he picks out me for instance Joe I would put it to you he has those two in block uh, capitals. That you in particular use these two trusty turns of phrase in almost every show and interview. <laughs> any favourites from your peers? Any, <laughs> any, that you, uh, any that you can't stand to hear others use? Tangent away. Love the show, Rory and Cork. But importantly, from Donegal. Uh, would you strike, for instance, would you uh, uh, put, for instance, or I would put it to you as closely associated with me? I... I these, if they're in my vernacular, I, I can see how I might have used them from time to time, but I, they have, to use a Rory's phrase, these have unwittingly weaved their way into my vernacular if, if I'm that, if I'm using them in every interview, I hadn't realised. I, I like, would, I, w- I like, I would put it to you, it's very, the week in politics. Very. It's like, I would put it to you, Minister. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know in what context you're bringing this, I would put it to you, Mick, in the news round, on story number three. Yeah. I really don't think I use that yeah, phrase. I'm not Rory. sure about that one. I can hear it though. I don't think it's one of your go-tos, but I can hear it. I can hear it coming out of your voice. He says every show and interview. <laughs> sure about that. Uh, definitely not. I would, I would put it to you. I'd like to think the three of us would know. But <laughs> yeah. then again, how good are we at our jobs? For, in, for instance, is such a vague... Yeah. So you have to say for instance. Like, yeah. I use lots of words a lot, you know, like the... To his question as to whether these that are... one of your phrases? <laughs> <laughs> to his question. I think it might be actually. To yeah. his question. I, I mean, trying to get things back on track generally is sort of why, why I bring that up. But to his question... Well, about whether these things are planned I kind of like I sort of find it hilarious that, you know that, that people think sometimes that a lot more goes into this than it actually does you know I don't know for for me anyway like anything that I have that's repetitive and there are a few but I don't even want to say them out loud but I hear them back and it's the opposite of something that's planned it's cringe it's a tick that comes out of your mouth in a way that you don't want it to especially when you're you know you're trying to broadcast you're trying to do it properly but there are plenty of things that I think everybody has but I know what mine are that come out of my mouth 
you know, almost completely without meaning. Like, is it at the end of sentences that you don't mean to say? Go on, hit me. What's yours? Come on. You'll, you'll hear them plenty. No, I'm obviously, I'm obviously thinking about it now, so I'm not going to say them. Come on, yeah. hit me. Hit me. Hit me. Give us your yeah. one that we can look out for. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one I always do. I will make my points. I'll probably have two examples. And instead of just putting a full stop, I will say, or whatever else it might be. <laughs> That's okay. It is, but it is one. And I hear it all the time. It's not that there's a problem with it. It's just that the idea that it's planned into my style of broadcasting is kind of ludicrous. It's, it's not like, I think what Roy's wondering there is like, are there certain phrases that you're almost using to buy time or to fill? There are those two. Yeah. But you're t- we're, I suppose we're more thinking about those phrases that we overuse mm. without our knowledge. I think if anything, Joe, you're trying to take those verbal crutches out as opposed to adding them to your arsenal. Oh, big time. If there's anything you think that you're consciously using a lot, you try and rotate them back out. Big time. Else. I would listen back to myself quite a bit purely to just catch the repetitive so view. Enjoy it. habits. Yeah, <laughs> just to luxuriate in myself. Yeah. Uh, Ron? There's, okay. a, there's, like, there's everyday connective terms in everyday conversation that you possibly don't want to take out of the conversational notion of radio, if you get me, like M's and M's and kind of, sort of, those kinds of things. Like if you took them out and just were very, I don't know, maybe it would sound unnatural or something, but I do often find myself, and I'm going to do it plenty tonight here probably, those little um, connective terms. Yeah. And without, without them, everything sounds like a polished monologue, which seems like you've almost either pre-prepared it before you go on or something that you've written out. But with them, as Ron said, you listen back to yourself and you think, oh, don't, yeah, not again. Jeez, not kind of, sort of. Ugh. Three times in one answer. Yeah. Come on, this is <laughs> outrageous. Next email. Hey, Joe. Mick said it was difficult to cut down the Lee Mays interview. Uh, Aidan, your colleague, said the same for Podrick Harrington. They seem to be two of the most thoughtful interviewees. Who else would you put in that bracket? If you were to have a four-ball or dinner party of absorbing guests, who would they be? The type of person, says Richard here, the type of person who would have everybody else in pensive silence. Not the greatest sounding dinner party of all time. I love the way you threw a four-ball in there just to, just to win your good <laughs> graces. <laughs> Make sure you read the email. Tiger Woods. <laughs> <laughs> There's got an automation, or Joe. That's the second time in two days. My God. Jordan Speed and his outlook to find golf terms to make sure it brings, brings it to his attention. He secondly asked the question, if I'm ever asked, I struggle with uh, massively. While thinking about that, says Richard, almost on a tangent of his own here, who's the best person you've ever interviewed? Like, I don't know. Best person. Best from, person. From what it, point of view? Like, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> like, in terms of the, what they brought to the interview or the most wholesome person? The, the like, best I, person. I can't speak to their personal life. Because we've had some great people on the show, Joe, you know. Who are the best interviewees? Stand-up people. That's a, it's a tough question. Such a hard one. It's a tough question. Because you're staring at a blank wall because you've been doing this for a while. Yeah. So you have to sort of try not to forget everybody that you've spoken to. Like, with that, you're, al- you're almost, by dint of how the question's framed, you're reaching for maybe one-off interviews, but I'm just using them as an example. Andy Dunn, um, you're always delighted because he'll bring something new I don't, I don't class that as an interview. No, but it's more like, uh, well, interviews, I suppose, guests is probably more where he falls in at this stage. But as one-off guests... I've nobody I can think of. Liam Hayes last week was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> there's a bit of recency bias there, Michael. <laughs> Keith Earls. Yeah, good. I thought that interview was great. Yeah, he's good. He's always good, though. I think yeah. you've got to do more than one good interview mm. to pass the bar there, don't you? So you think someone could do one good autobiography interview, tell a yeah, really good just, story about their life? I suppose Padraig Harrington's good no matter what. He was good 15 years ago. He's good now. Thoughtful. Mm. 
Um, I think as a as a rule, individual sports people are generally better. Boxers are yeah. good. Yeah. Andy Lee was always very good. Always. Anything about his career was good. Yeah, Eric Donovan. Eric Donovan. Is that because individuals need to sell themselves while I think team athletes often have to play everything down because they're concerned about what they say? I think that could be a case. What just jumped to mind with me is that they're solitary people or athletes that spend a lot of time on their own, which means that they probably spend a lot more time thinking about what they're doing than, you know, Jack Grealish yeah. at Man City running around with the group and playing practical jokes while he's doing his intense and, you know, top level training. I'd also be wary of hard and fast rule. Most boxers are rubbish too. <laughs> Go on, Ronan. Jump to the defence of your Most sports people are rubbish interviewees. Well, yeah, that's true. I think just as a subset, I think it's fair... Um, you're almost going to get to Will's point somewhat more unfiltered from someone who's looking after their own devices. True. They don't have a dressing room to betray. Mm. Uh, Sorry. No, I was just going to say, like Andy Lee's actually a prime example whereby like, world champion, but he's not in the very top 0.01%, like, you know, the, the greatest boxers of all time. And yet his story, like his book in terms of sporting autobiographies this feels like a Christmas Eve conversation but uh, it's one of the best sports books written uh, yeah. in the last 10 years certainly and like just the the details that spin off his career which was like unquestionably successful um, it's just remarkable like the personal stories and whatnot. so I just think he doesn't have the same I'm just using Andy as an example doesn't have the same framework or hurdles to jump to get those stories through uh, to the page whereas other people probably have more considerations uh, Speaking of good books have you read the Prince Harry book yet? <laughs> I can't find anybody to talk about it with Oh uh, here I uh, heard the audio clip it's good On the hard shoulder 4-7 It was good It's really good in a page turner kind of way because you don't know where it's going next or is oh, no, it like I a, a fair, good I have book? a fair idea how it turned out for him No <laughs> Every story's madder than the last uh, No I just thought it was brilliantly done Have you read it? I took the audio book because I had the token on Audible Yeah And free plug for Audible and oh, his um, his voice I just can't I can imagine I just can't What drew you to it Joe? Because there was so much Harry between the Netflix between the interviews it just felt like it was Harry Mania at the time the book came out. I just couldn't take more. Prince Should have Harry. called the book that. Harry Mania. Harry Mania. Really, much better title. Uh, J.R. Moe Ringer drew me to it. Okay. Brilliant ghostwriter. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'll give him a chance and it's worth giving him a chance because he takes a fairly unlikable-ish story and turns it into something very compelling. Anyway, I'll press on. I'll press on. Last email for the time being and then we're getting into the topics we wanted to discuss. Hi, lads. Enjoy your musings from across the Irish Sea. On your discussion about commentators' cliches, any thoughts on describing a footballer as an honest pro? I can't work it out. Is this to distinguish him, it is usually a him, from his more dishonest peers or is it because the commentator simply can't identify another attribute? Keep up the great work and may you reach a four or five, Pete says Tony we're currently on two slight tangents in a row so we're looking for the, <laughs> the three beats soon. long way away yeah well I mean the one <coughs> I mentioned on the news round is character it's my big bugbearer uh, I was saying to Mick there hasn't been a slitter caught in 20 years that wasn't down to character and it's just nonsense I mean it really yeah. is nonsense character does character come into sport at all Joe? yes of course it does yeah but it just can't sporting be sporting achievements. Yeah, no, of course it does. Sporting feats. But it's an overused. Oh, it's what character? 
Do you know what I mean? For yeah. just like, uh, but the, the ball happened to bounce someone's ray and they cleared it. But like, take Lissandra Martinez, for example, off the performance at the weekend, the whole he'd put his head where other people wouldn't put their foot. Yeah. Is that not reflective of his character? Yeah, no, it is. So is someone like uh, diving for a loose ball and hurling not similar? Nah. That, put, to put in your head where someone wouldn't put their foot. As in, like, trying, like, from what point are we, are you talking about like a high, like He's a high ball. feeling kind of thing? Sometimes someone just catches a ball okay, in the air. And I hear you. Certain I, commentators would just scream, what character? <laughs> I thought you meant a hard foot, like, <laughs> no, 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 scrap no, on the ground. Sometimes it's appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> Am I wrong here? No, no, I think it's fair enough. I think there's more than that. I think, I think there's GA cliches all over the place. We mentioned wanted it more. In the wanted moment. it more. Yeah. Wanted and wanted it more. I mean, Sometimes people, they do want it more, Joe. I know, but people have used they wanted it more analysis after All Ireland finals. Yeah, but there's a, well, it's not that like they've the, like you measure exactly how much one team wanted it more. I think there is that there is that hard to measure how far will they go for something thing that like you know are a team that have been there before or that don't really believe in themselves you know I think there's I think it should be slightly more complicated than wanted it more but sometimes it can come down to that mm. you know little bit extra effort Richie had a good one in the news round he yeah. was saying that the term foot race <laughs> what else are they r- racing on their hands <laughs> it never occurred to me because I, didn't, I never mind a good old fashioned foot race but now that you mention it I'll never hear that phrase again that's tremendous <laughs> on the character thing, though, is like I, you do hear. I, I don't know if character is the right word for GA. It's funny. I, I don't associate that. I think a character. I think of like Roy Keane. You know, like that. That's his analysis of why Manchester United aren't any good. Oh yeah, it's because they don't have any character and they don't have any leaders and lots so of sub from all of this and. Uh, no, I think he's getting to the heart. I just think with him, he just dislikes so many dressing rooms he came across, especially as a manager. But I mean, the fairly obvious point to make is that these. Um, players who had no character a year ago now seem to have lots of character so maybe it was about something more than their character mm. but it's a, uh, how do you dispute if someone says no character yeah and yet the rising tide that lifted all boats in that instance probably if you take Casemiro as the example is an abundance of character mm-hmm. so maybe you know, there is there is an essence of it there but I'm not saying personality and character aren't important no but sometimes we deduce too much from player catching a ball yeah as opposed I- to golfer handing someone a tampon that that would reveal character more than someone catching a ball. Let's get back to this again. Uh, no, but I, I I was agreeing with you. Like I mean, I in the, but I'm just saying that in the, I think it's in all sports. But like there's there's people who kind of like whittle everything down to its most basic. You know, in the way they they understand the game. I think Keane is obviously one of them. It's something we've talked about before mm-hmm. that he just sees football on this almost basic level of you know there's good pros and then there's people who aren't. Honest pros, <laughs> you know, almost to the emailers. Uh, the problem with cliches, point. there is grain of truth in them all. Mm. There's lots of text in on this issue. Most annoying sporting cliches drives me insane when commentators refer to a singular player as plural. Example, <laughs> if talking about the Kerry forward line, they'll talk about the Shawnee O'Shea's and the David Clifford's. Oh, that's <laughs> there is only one Shawnee O'Shea and there's only one David Clifford. That's Billy driving back to Cork. Can't dispute that. Uh, somebody agrees. It's the plurals of teams I hate. The Uniteds, the Liverpools, the Arsenals of the world. <laughs> <laughs> of the world. <laughs> Resports cliche. Really annoys me people turning adverbs into nouns. As in, the boy's done brilliant. As opposed to brilliantly. And it should be he did brilliantly. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, there's two, I, there's I two issues with I don't want to correct you there, Jerry. Uh, also, he gave 110%, says Jerry, the untidy psychiatrist. Well, can a psychiatrist be untidy? 
suggestive of an untidy mind hopefully not in the workplace well job there's some amateur psychiatry slash psychiatry <laughs> didn't have to go to college for that one Jerry. <laughs> annoying sporting cliches X factor used to justify selection of any rugby player who can sidestep rugby IQ also used within a particular abundance Tyler Blindell played for Munster with uh, rugby IQ says Ian Cork well I mean the ultimate in rugby is the unseen work oh there's <laughs> so much unseen work <laughs> so, mu- break, so much though. unseen work that you don't see Joe oh my god that was like uh, during the 90s there wasn't an Irish match that was unseen work wasn't pointed out there's a certain arrogance to the person pointing out the oh, unseen 100%. work as well is there? <laughs> oh my <laughs> it's god like, it's unseen by you but not by me big time I could see it oh it was, dri- <laughs> it was dripping with arrogance uh, quote my personal opinion lads drives me nuts why would you bother with someone else's personal opinion says Martin in Dublin 9 fair that certain distancing before you know you're going to say something that might well be Controversial. Yeah. Well, I do think, and um, it's it's crept in increasingly with the internet and angry footer, yeah, football Twitter people, is um, any like uh, semi, not even controversial, critical point is often prefaced with. I'm oh, not listen, saying this, but the Liverpool fans are probably going to hate me, or you know, blah, 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 blah. it's like just it's so weak. Just say it. Mm. Don't appeal to them and their better nature. One, it's pointless and you send one. I was going to say the pointless part is actually quite important there because, you know, it's not going to work. No. It's like... <laughs> and never reveal you're playing devil's advocate if you are because you give away a lack of... There's yeah. a complete lack of sincerity. Commit to it. Yeah. yeah, totally. Uh, last couple of texts. I urge that pockets of space and banks of four ought to be discontinued, says Scarlett. Pockets of space. I think that's okay. Yeah. What do you think of a corridor of uncertainty? Love it. Yeah, me too. That's what oh, can I tell you a story about the corridor of uncertainty? <laughs> <laughs> it's what this lot was born for. Are you sure about this story now? A good friend of mine uh, went to school with him. Uh, we were watching, I believe, the 2014 World Cup. and I can't remember the game, but we were watching it. I think, actually, I think I can remember the game. Oh, Costa Rica against someone. It was a knockout game anyway. And nil-nil. And there was a great, great cross put in. And someone used the term corridor of uncertainty. And we were like talking about it. And then my friend goes, I always thought it was the car door of uncertainty, as in it's the width of a car door. We <laughs> <laughs> were the like, width of a car that's door. one of those things that comes wow. in. That's the one of those things that comes into your head. It's like, oh, that's what it is. And it makes I'm sense. Not, I'm not going to admit it out loud. Oh, yeah. But he's always no filter. So. About a car door of uncertainty. It's a car door width, you know? Yeah. I love how specific that was as well. Yes. I always thought play it by year was played by year. No, play it by no year. you've got a mix up there. Sorry, play it by year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always thought play it by ear was played by year. And again, it worried, there was a logic to it. As in, yeah. we'll play it by year as in a period of time. So we'll, 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 we'll just see uh, as things transpire. Yeah. Sorry, I was trying to think of what my one of them was and I can't, I can't reach for it. I'm having, a, I'm having a poor day so far. A lot of people like an en route. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, when? They sit on that route. Yeah, <laughs> they always use the wrong way. Last text or two. Mike, page turner is as inane a phrase as foot race. <laughs> page turner. Makes I, sense. Yeah, I was only joking as well. Like, yeah. very specific term Page to Turner. reading a book as well. You use it in the literal context. It would have been different if you use it for something else. It's all right. Um, and finally, Adon says a wide is as good as a score at this stage. Total GA bullshit. A wide is never as good as a score oh. ever. 
<laughs> no, the score's better. Fair enough. But you know they Kicked the ball dead. No, no, yeah, I, I, but you I know what you. they all mean, but like... Yeah, that's I heard it the weekend on a radio commentary as well. A, a 65 in this instance is as good as a score. You're like, no, it's not. You would much prefer to have the point on the board, mm. turn around and defend the puck out and move on. It's not make any sense. No, it's true. And finally, Connor, rugby commentators ranting and raving about players catching and kicking uh, of a standard that GEA players, club players, would take for granted. I thought that was going to be something else. I thought that was going to be every time a rugby player, Irish rugby player, catches the ball, it's because of their GEA background. Yeah. GEA's good shining through. <laughs> Shane Horgan's GEA background because he could catch the ball. Nothing to do with the fact that he played on the wing for Ireland for 10 years. I would say a lot of GEA players do look at the uh, praise that rugby players get for kicking a ball out of hand and do think, like, are we kidding here? Like, James Lowe, his left boot is hailed. Yeah. Is, is that because he's improved skill? his kicking though as well? Would your average GEA I wouldn't say player a, not be able to kick I wouldn't say there's a GEA well. player. There's not a GEA back in the country who can boot the ball 50 yards up the field. Well, maybe, okay. not, not a part of the game anymore. Maybe not 50 yards. But I think maybe some back of the, in the day they could. I think some of these little crossfield kicks from Finn Russell and stuff oh, that yeah. are 15 metres, <clears throat> they're easy. Yeah. They're not, they're, not, they're, like, they're not even grand. They're easy. It's like a little punt pass in GEA and be oh right, the cross kick. I did think on Saturday that I would have done a better job at the cross field kick than the Italian player, you know, when they had the try chance and he oh, just yeah. like booted it. Madness. He, <laughs> it was, he kicked that at fifty meters. It was utter madness, but I was thinking I would have definitely done a better job than that. Like uh, do we all agree? Are you are we in agreement on that they overhyped the rugby cross kick from a ten for a try? Oh, it's um there's an element of timing and trajectory that you have to get spot on. Are you talking about direct like like an assist for a try, essentially. Yeah. They are tricky now. If you're running. I just think a GEA player would look at that and think, come on. Mm, like it's a punch it, from a half back to a half it's forward. It's a little bit of a different skill, though, I would say. You're coming at it from a different angle also, typically. Like you're front facing. It's obviously, there's a reason GEA players kick freeze side on. Because it's, it's more difficult to kick them. Mm-hmm. I think a Marcus Smith started the Six Nations. Remember the little chip over for the try that he made, which was on the side of the foot, which was a particularly tricky skill. Mm. That's difficult to do when you've got a player bearing down you who's about to hit you with a tackle as well. Fair enough. Uh, they were the emails. We got to move on. We got to move on. A short ad break, and there are some topics that we are frothing at the mouth to get into. Now you're welcome back. So let's get to a few bits and pieces. Oh, somebody was in touch uh, to somebody. let us know. Eighteen years ago. Today, 18 years ago, where just have a think for a minute, where were you 18 years ago? It was 2005. I tell you where Delia Smith was. She was at Carrow Road. 20,000 fans against Man City. Their first season back in the Premier League since 1994. They're five points from safety. They were 2 0 up in this game. It's back to 2 2. It's half time. Delia. Didn't go down great. <laughs> Did <Didn't> work? <laughs> oh yes, they lost three two. Crucially, Robbie Fowler scored a ninetieth minute winner. Uh, Delia's Delia's uh, subsequent interview about the incident is: they just handed me the microphone and said, "Go on, go on, do it." I had heels on. The pitch was muddy. It was hard to walk. So everybody thought I was drunk. End quote. <laughs> And nothing to do with the first sentence that she said there where she called them fuzz of the ball fans. Uh, <laughs> there's a moment of shock in Carrow Road and then there's a moment of 
off. <laughs> That's one of those moments you like. You instantly knew. I don't know where I'll be in eighteen years from now. But I'll, I'll be hearing that again. That's not the first time I'm going or last time I'm going to hear that. Mm-hmm. It's the always oh, it like. Premier League years written all over it like you know it's if, if they ever do a montage of the Premier League that is like of the entire history of it yeah. that is even as as small as an hour long I think that'll be it it's, and part of it which was so unsavoury is that I think she's descending into a kind of a football speak that is not her mm. yeah I'd like real cliche savoury it's a touch uh, maybe I don't know classist well maybe what you're saying is yeah, yeah I think in general it was just Hilarious, like sorry, it was absolutely hilarious. Old old, old woman doesn't really kind of like understand what she's, she's like, doing. Oh God, I'm going to speak to them in their language. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a vibe about it. No, I kind yeah. of love the fact Maybe. there's a, a mustard magnate here going onto the pitch and is deciding to shout "Come on!" Because that clip is usually lost at the end of it. It usually stops with you know when it's used in montages. It tends to stop with "Let's be having you." What's the visceral "Come on" at the end of it? As well? See, I it's think so she's uh, when you watch it back, she is sensing that. She has not won them over. Oh, you got to give it more. So it's a, it's just a last gasp. Effort. She actually, if you watch the video, just at the end after she does, Will's come on. She kind of gives back the mic to someone with a sort of a shake of the head, <laughs> sort of a puppy dog. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of went. <laughs> kind of went. That didn't go too well. <laughs> they maybe they, someone just gave me the mic and said, "Go on, Delia." Uh, let's uh, turn to the state of boxing, the purists. They're not happy. They're not happy. Tommy Fury versus Jake Paul at the weekend. In Saudi Arabia, naturally, uh, there was a belt won by Tommy Fury. I don't know what was on the belt. Tommy being talked about as a legitimate boxer, even though at 23, this pair of 14 fights between them. So I wouldn't say he's been the most overly active boxer, but maybe there's issues I don't know about. And then Paul, a YouTube star, turned pro in 2020, and has mainly fought fellow YouTubers, MMA fighters, basketballers, and more. I'm giving the big, I'm sure lots of you are very aware who Jake Paul is, but lots of you not. Uh, Jake Paul has about 22 million Instagram followers. Every time he pops up on my phone on Instagram Reels or something, it's on your him. Nokia. Yes. Talking about how much money he has. Seems to have made an extraordinary amount of money. And this fight is the death knell of boxing, so to speak. I don't think... Will Maker, I paid the twenty nine ninety nine pay per view to watch this. <laughs> you did watch this, Ronan. I well, I watched some of it. Um, I was certainly not going to pay for it either. Um, it's an interesting one. Like, not that, uh, not that this is an arbiter of how I judge the sport in general. But a lot of people that don't follow boxing were asking me about this. So that's kind of a, an indicator that it captured the imagination. Should we have run it on the sports bulletins on? No, I'd say it was more in the showbiz section. Okay. Um, but, uh, look, it's not... like If you turned it on and and looked at it, you wouldn't immediately say this is a joke. You wouldn't say these two are out of their depth. As you said, Tommy Fury, not the most decorated resume, but has some schooling, comes from a great boxing family, obviously, and can handle himself in the ring. And then Jake Paul, um, do you want to use another cliche, like, God-given power, Joe, in boxing uh, parlance, he's he can punch like, and like the MMA fighters you've mentioned. Granted, they're not uh, it's not Queensbury rules they've been uh, excelling in for the last couple of decades, but you know they they fought for a living, and he's knocking them spark out. So, you know he's got something about him there. It's just kind of it's boxing's own fault that this little portal was allowed to be preyed upon. 
that it's basically <clears throat> been used as a vehicle for these guys who make enough money on the side to make, like Jake Paul, for example, in the fight that he lost, made $30 million just from buys. Um, if boxing was making enough good fights in real terms, there would be no audience for these. But you look at the docket for 2023 and unfortunately the best fight on that docket fell through today with Taylor and Serrano. Uh, the heavyweight division, there's no prospect at the moment of Fury and Usyk getting it on, which like we've been waiting since Lennox Lewis for an undisputed heavyweight champion and there's no sign of that either. So it's... Um, it, on one hand, you've got the lamentable state of the professional game in that the best won't fight the best. That's not a new issue. And this is a new issue. Mm. Whether, as in the new issue being the, the celeb fighters and Eddie Hearn, for example, who's on the DAZN platform, would make the point, oh, well, um, these kinds of events will bring eyeballs to our platform. And by dint of that, they be, might be inclined to stay and watch. Are they bringing eyeballs to cards, though? This is it. Though we don't have enough of a body of evidence to even bear that out so like that, that certainly on social media yes maybe not television maybe not pay-per-view mm. but awareness of the sport you could say yeah like what was the fight was it when Logan Paul Jake's brother boxed KSI I didn't realise they were brothers until very recently mm. I always but thought Paul was the same guy I think that was the fight and there were several world title fights on the undercard um, I think Billy Joe Saunders fought in the undercard Um I think who was the other one? Devin Haney, who's now like serial world champion. So these guys fought on an undercard of a celeb YouTube fight, and you're like, is this really where we're at? Yeah, I would say the Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather fight was in some ways the beginning of this. Mm. It was a confirmation that okay, two super famous and in their own pursuits, very talented athletes. But coming together for what was a circus that yeah. was celebrity first, yeah. that that actually carried enough intrigue to generate a huge amount of money. I would say that was the beginning of this movement. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. And although that, like, did Muhammad Ali fight a wrestler? Yeah, he fought Antonio Noki or something the, like that. The, those, the Japanese wrestler, the wrestler that was Stallone, Hulk Hogan, and Rocky. Yeah. yeah, but the, the, that was based. Like, well, I don't know if it was based on Ali and and Noki, but that was a real fight of some kind. I don't know what rules they made about, but okay, it was a big deal and. Like Ali was, I don't know what he was tricked into it or tricked might be the wrong word, but kind of manipulated into it. And that's like the point I was going to make was like there's always been an element of the circus to boxing. It's not, you know, it's not, mm. I suppose it comes and goes over time, but it's, it's always been there. It's always been about the promotion, mm. probably as much as about the sport. And what you get then, the, the end result of this is, as you said, this wasn't an, an exhibition in a way that's like, two people who've never done the sport but they're just celebrities fighting these were actually two decent level boxers but because because of their celebrity they're selling out a card whereas they should be almost opening the card it's almost a bigger problem mm. than if it was a white collar boxing that you know took the world by storm and it's a different thing it's amateur and yeah. it's uh, or not amateur is the wrong word but you know what I mean it's non-pro uh, whereas these are like guys who like it doesn't matter that the fact that Tommy Fury isn't good enough yeah. to be a world champion he's getting a, a bigger billing than Tyson Fury in some ways, oh, you know, for Carl who's the was best saying, in the world. Carl Frotch was saying, like, you know, Tommy Fury would do very well to become British champion. That's his level. Oh, yeah. That's where he's yeah. very well. A British is, champion would Is be Jake Paul going to keep fighting people now? I would say so, yeah. I would say so. Like, I'm not, like, you raise a good point, like, regarding the Muhammad Ali fight and these are time immemorial, but uh, the key point, obviously, being 
and we lose to it there. These are registered fights. Like the WBC sanctioned it, uh, gave them rankings. Uh, equally, the Mayweather-McGregor fight that you mentioned was Floyd Mayweather's official 50th win. So when people go back and look, oh, 50, 50, you know, that's an impressive record. Who was number 50? You're like, an MMA fighter, you know? So um, I think that's the the conflation that I'm uneasy with. I actually have no problem with these guys going and doing this on the side. It's the problem that it's taking up real estate on boxing cards and and taking up dates for actual fighters. that's, yeah. that's my problem. When we're watching, uh, you know, the half 12 game on BT for the last few weeks, yeah. when you see their pay-per-view coming up, you want that to be Fury and Usyk, yeah. Usyk or something, Taylor and Serrano. Mm. But the idea that that promotion of the other sport that they're doing because their big event is these two, like, again, just like just as a purely interested in sport and not interested in their celebrity and nothing fight between nobodies. So yeah, you know? talk sport a commentary of it. Yeah. And we're billing it all week. That's There's money to be made from it. Like, you know, well, like that's especially for the Paul brothers who are selling prime and crypto on the back of being in the public eye. And Jake Paul's brother is going to be at WrestleMania next month as well. Oh, I thought that was Jake himself. I think I did Joe's ah. problem there. But I was going to say... He's with his brother. I was going to say about the wrestling thing is like they go into that because, you know, if you're... WWE or whatever and you think oh we'll get the Paul brothers on the show that'll bring eyes to our product and maybe then they'll stay for whoever the top star is these days and that's like that's the almost understand understandable mentality that wrestling would have it's really sad that you're suggesting that that's you guys are suggesting that's where boxing is you know get the get Jake Paul on the card and maybe people will say oh I like this boxing lark I'll watch yeah. a real fight Mm. Uh, in a few weeks on Friday night fights or whatever you know like it's it's grim because it obviously it's such a history and there is still a mad interest in boxing I think a big fight you know if they made those fights that you're talking about Ronan the ones that they won't make I, I you know people still come to them in the droves like there's still a buzz around a big fight oh, that yeah. people will go and buy yeah. it's the only thing that'll survive on pay-per-view these days mm. you know yeah Max Kellerman is a good saying. Are you familiar with Max Kellerman? The yeah, the US broadcaster. Yeah. But he'd have, uh, he said, the way to tell boxing is the world's most popular sport, even if you don't know it. If you go to a street corner and there's someone playing baseball in one corner and basketball in another corner and football in another corner and there's a fight in the other corner, everybody <laughs> everybody congregates around the fight. So it's it's your favourite sport, even if you don't know it. And that's the mixed point. Like it, it captivates. It's so elemental. There's no, you don't need a precursor or, you know, to know what's happening here. And... Uh, it, it engages you probably in a way that, that others don't. Did you read Joe Brawley's piece at the weekend? I didn't actually, know. Okay, we'll come back to it. He was calling for the banning of MMA, violent and, and, all, and compact, combat sports. Well, I wouldn't necessarily go along with that. <laughs> uh, before I necessarily agree with anything. Uh, okay, well, we should come back to it sometime. Uh, before the clock comes against us, the Hurling League. You wanted to get into this, Will. Get the ball rolling. Yeah, it's not a good product at the moment, is how you would start that conversation. We're in the we had a weird situation where there was a break week, one game in the week just gone by, another break week, and then the prospect of some teams having only two weeks to prepare for the start of the championship. And therefore, I reckon for the last two rounds, some teams are going to taper down their interest, especially as some probably don't care that much about qualifying for the semifinals of the league. Add in the fact that last year, Waterford went terribly in the championship after winning the league and Cork had a dip in form and then recovered it a bit it seems teams don't really want to give the league everything Mm. and as a result we've had some poor games loads of enthusiasm at the start there were massive crowds particularly the first weekend and even into the second weekend 
But I think a lot of people are now looking at the product and going, hmm, not so sure. Maybe I'll wait till the championship comes around. Because my sense of it without watching all the games is there were a few years there where it was incredible when it was Division 1. Mm. Division 1 and 2, yeah, two. you had eight-team division sense so to football. Division yeah. 1 was hyper-competitive. Division 2 was a bit of a cakewalk generally for the two better teams, but there was a, a dog Only one team. Only who could one go up. team yeah. got promoted. So there, was, yeah. there was always one amazing match in Division 2. Limerick, before their glory years, I think finished second about five years in a row. They couldn't get out yeah. of it. Like, yeah. I think Limerick and Galway won provincial championships and 1B back in that area as well. The last year of that was 2019. Yeah, we've gone back to 1A, 1B with a balanced structure yes. now. And so I now there's no jeopardy. So I think okay, COVID year is COVID year. That's tricky. So 2021, 2022 and now into 2023, the hurling league seems to be a very much unloved product. It's a league into a league is the first problem. Why? Semi-finals takes away really any danger for most of the yeah. teams and the relegation is always going to be the bottom two from 1B against the team who comes up from Division 2. When so you, When you think about it, like uh, at the time, the rationale of, in effect, to use an unfair phrase, but ruining the league by changing that format post-2019, the rationale was oh, it's too tough, it's too competitive. Mm. It was too good. Yeah. It's, it's becoming if anything, unmissable. If anything, it's too good. <laughs> sorry, there was, there's two different formats there that you mentioned. Sorry, there was the time when it was 1 and 2 and then it went to a 1A and 1B that were divided. And that was actually even better again because 1B was more competitive. There was like four or five teams in there that had were competing and then there was, okay. you know, but the promotion and relegation was there. It was actually even a better time and that that's the one you're talking about. I, I was wrong. I was going back a little bit further. Yes. But, uh, now. but as you said, like there was even a time back in that old days, I remember of, of it being one and two and say you would have a good team and poor old Limerick <laughs> and, you know, in Division 2 and uh, I remember Cork got relegated and I remember the discussion was like, oh, this league format won't see next year. There's no way Cork could possibly play in Division 2. Now, I don't know. I can't actually remember whether they did or not. But the fact is that they, we will even entertain these conversations consistently yeah. in GA or in hurling, I think, in particular. This kind of protection of, we could, we, we're, this fear of losing a county. Like, they lost awfully. Do you know what I mean? Sorry, Will. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's so sparse. And that's another reason the league isn't worth thing. Is the, 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 we haven't talked about the fact that the season has been condensed so much. You have the round robins. Mm. They're falling on top of each other. Why would anyone play a league before playing, you know, going into another league that actually matters? It's funny on the round robin time. point. The first year of the round robin, if you go back and check the Tipperary manager, name escapes me at the time. He came out after the round robin. Michael moment. Ryan. Yeah. I think it was Michael Ryan went horribly for Tipperary, the rent robin that is. And he said, oh, maybe we were too honest. As in maybe we gave it too much yeah. during the league. And we won't make that mistake again. Yeah. More fool us for taking the league seriously. Lesson learned. So the rent robin has exacerbated the situation. Anyway, look at the team selections. That logic is definitely out there right now. You right. wait for a Friday now to see how competitive a game is going to be on a given weekend okay. by the team selection. Yeah, we've had mismatches and we've had teams who haven't gone full pelt at all. I thought... Limerick-Galway was going to be a close game last weekend and Galway were missing a string of players which Joe Canning read out in League Sunday but at the same time I thought Galway and Limerick won't meet until the knockout stage of the championship so therefore why wouldn't Galway try and win like they yeah. did last year and give them a platform Hurling, uh, The hurling establishment doesn't seem overly perturbed at this mm. state of affairs Oh I don't know I've seen a lot of giving out now in the last few weeks From lot, fans, I'm talking of- about the establishment are like our pundits coming out and giving out yeah, this? Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of kind of something needs to be done. Okay. Yeah, I don't know about you, Will. Yeah, I was listening to Dale's podcast yesterday. He made a fair point that when it was two teams in the league that went straight to a league final, 
back then when there was also relegation down which Mick mentioned for Cork teams going into the last weekend were checking scores elsewhere to see where teams were going to go because now you've got four teams going into semi-finals and very little chance even if last year if Limerick hadn't won against Offaly in the last round they would have beaten Antrim to stay up anyway so the top eight counties who are a distance ahead of the rest of the teams really have no danger when it comes to the league whatsoever the league is just a warm up before they play in the championship itself and that hurts competition so there's a bigger issue though I think there could be tweaks and I think I'd be worried about the fact that there was a huge crowd in Limerick for Clare and, and Limerick when Clare didn't turn up there was a huge crowd in Cork and Limerick for the first game there's big crowds all around it's like what are they coming for you know exhibition games almost you know um, so you'd worry about that surviving but there's a bigger issue here that isn't solvable in that you know unfortunately inter-county hurling is the same eight teams constantly playing each other and as long as one tournament is much bigger than the other the other one isn't going to be taken seriously because you're going to meet all these teams again and you're just the same teams kind of constantly playing each other. It'd be like a Six Nations tournament of, you know, being all played ahead of the Six Nations. Yeah. Those fixtures you know? going stale may well be the thing that precipitates change in the future because we'll get so used to these teams meeting continually uh, during the year. Because in a weird way with COVID, you know, we went to knock out and around Robin got a little bit of a break it meant that that wasn't happening for a couple of years by accident rather than by design. But I would love if we got a round robin like 2019, the last day where Galway got knocked out. Sure, the round robin is brilliant. Like yeah. I mean, but it, it maybe the sacrifice is the league, and that just mm. makes the what the intercounty season that matters even shorter. And our know? attendance is going down. I don't. I I think attendances have been generally very very good. Yeah, I think people. I think this, the long break. I think honestly, yeah. you haven't seen teams since some teams since June, some teams since May, even. Yeah, you know, and it's a long time since they've been around. I think people were ready for intercounty to come back, like you know. Okay. Yeah, it's it's also at the same time that the football league has been brilliant and is getting better every year and is ready to surpass our, uh, the championship. I think in a way, you know, if you, you know, they have to keep tweaking the championship to keep up with the league. Especially now this year that Division 2 has a direct implication on what's going to happen in the championship well, yeah, year in the football. Amazing. People are getting a bit more excited about that and what's going to happen with relegation in 2 and 3. You just don't have that with hurling. <sighs> I wouldn't like to try to be trying to keep the hurling pot afloat right now. Yeah, please keep listening. Uh, <laughs> no, don't worry, we're going to be debating all this and I think the first thing that has to go is semi-finals. Championships around the corner anyway. Yeah. Championships almost here. This is the one little sliver of the calendar where hurling people can't be like hurling to. We're superior, but yeah, it's <laughs> just not. It just can't. You can't stand that up. What even hurling people are cribbing. We, me and Will will come on here like, giving out about it every every uh, week between now and April, so that when April, April comes, oh yeah, we're we back. Can sit upon our throne. We're back, baby. <laughs> Uh, by the way, Paul did want to read out this text. Seriously, guys, he's unhappy that we haven't given enough credit to the old crossfield kick in rugby. Have one of you ever played rugby with the shape and weight of the egg ball and the shape it takes in flight depending on the type of contact it receives from the boot? God, you guys have no idea. We've all kicked a rugby ball, Paul, in fairness. I tried to praise a very difficult, skillful kick just you before you went to the break. I actually kind of agree, I have to say. I think that is. I think you've underestimated that skill. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough, Paul. I'm reading out your text. We're taking the point. A well-placed spiral kick or a floated kick to be caught by a back three coming onto it is a gifted talent and a fine art. Try it among the three of us tomorrow and report back. What do you mean the three of us? Are you taking us out, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to rugby pitch. Who, who are the two that are being left out? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, OK. Point taken. Uh, and somebody along the lines of the car door of uncertainty, James and Cork, always thought pay-per-view was paper oh, view stop. as in paper view because you were signing some sort of some sort of contract to view the event so it was a pay per view that stacks up I thought uh, that as a kid I have to say pay per view yeah 
Like, well, I wasn't. I didn't really know what it was. It just it was something you would hear. Pay per view. Pain per view. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I think we're pretty much done. A slight tangent at offtheball.com is where you can get us. Will, thank you very much. Cheers, lads. Michael, thank you. Thank you. Ron and Mullen, see you again when we see you. Yeah, thanks, lads. Well I'm done. Back, All right, that's us. In the sting forever. <laughs>